Hello everyone, I'm Philip Mead. And I'm Scott Stigmeyer. And I'm Danny Webb. And this is The Blackest Eyes, a place for intelligent conversation about horror movies. The last time we were with you, we finished up season one, which was a season devoted to exorcism films by discussing the 2013 film The Conjuring. Today, we move into season two, and this series of six episodes will be focused on my personal favorite subgenre, slasher films. As always, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and of course, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast catcher. If you like the show, you can always support us for $5 a month through Patreon. You can read all about that at patreon.com forward slash the blackest eyes. But enough of all that. Let's talk about slasher movies. We're glad you're here. Let's boogie. Scott, Danny, welcome to season two of The Blackest Eyes. It's awesome. Excited to talk about slasher films. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this subgenre as well. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more in just a moment about what we think about slasher movies and all of that kind of good stuff. But it's good to be back with you all. Danny, what's happening uh, in eastern Kentucky? Uh, it's Things are about the same. Um, again, the COVID crisis is... Uh, hitting us pretty hard we're in an upswing of cases uh 20 some new cases this week uh in the orange as they say and trending towards the red so uh so we're still uh remote with our education and uh, it's still a you know a daily uh you know struggle of mask wearing and social distancing and isolation but uh but otherwise everything is pretty good the challenge pastorally right now for me is that parents who have children are waiting for, as you're talking about, red, orange, green, and the public school systems here, depending on the colors when they go back. But what everyone is terrified is that the children are going to go back to school, and then in a matter of a week, they're going to be pulled right back out and into the homes. And this creates a nightmare for my parents who don't know exactly what to do. Do they go back to work? Some of them have lost their jobs. They need to reapply for jobs. But if they get a new job, they don't want to turn right around and say, well, I can't come to work because now I have my kids at home. So it is an absolute mess and so many moving parts to this uh, whole conundrum. Scott, what about you? What's happening in California? Yeah, so I'm in Southern California here in Orange County. And, uh, you know, it, it, where I, oh, Irvine, where I live in Orange County, is is getting better as far as the COVID thing goes. L.A., which is about 60 miles away, is, I think, still doing pretty badly in, as far as COVID goes. So I teach, and kind of like Danny said, I'm, I'm teach at least for me, I'm, right now I'm teaching entirely online. I have students all over the country. I have students from other countries <laughs> who normally would have to be, be living here, but you know now they're living over in Europe or Asia or wherever they so it's interesting but I do miss being in the classroom personally with the students yeah well I'm glad to have you guys back on the blackest eyes this is going to be a really really fun season so before we get to the movie that we're going to be discussing tonight let's begin this season much like we did season one and talk for a moment about slasher films in general and to that end I'm going to ask two questions I didn't prepare you for this so I'll just ask you two questions first first 
what was the first slasher movie you can remember watching? Um, maybe just your first memory of watching this kind of genre, a slasher film. And second, how big of a fan are you of these kinds of movies? So what was the first one you remember watching? How big of a fan are you of slasher films? Danny, let's start with you. You probably uh, know your first slasher movie right off the bat, I bet. What was it and what do you think about slasher movies? I'm giving this some thought. Again, this was spur of the moment here. Uh, I think it was probably Friday the 13th. I remember watching the review of um, Halloween from uh, Siskel and Ebert. I don't know if that was at the movies or sneak previews or which version of their show it was. But um, I remember watching that, but I I didn't get to see the film at the theater. I just wasn't old enough. I'd been like 10 when it came out, 11. Um, But Friday the 13th, I do remember watching with a cousin uh, when it first debuted on the movie channel. We set an alarm to be able to watch it, and, uh, and I believe that would have been the first one I saw. Um, and I love the genre. Like it, it, you know, I'm relatively young at that point, and it was one of the uh, you know influential genres of me falling in love with horror movies. As I've gone on to teach horror classes, uh, it's such an interesting topic to talk about because there's just so many layers of um, of interest uh, there, sociological stuff, uh, political stuff, and just you know the gore the special effects the you know the more surface level stuff just a lot of fun so i'm a big fan of the genre that's neat that friday the 13th was your first slasher film i mean that's obviously an important film and an important franchise for that to be your first one that opens the doors to some pretty cool things scott what about you what was your first slasher film and what do you think yeah i think my first one was uh friday the 13th as well saw it on cable tv wow yeah yeah i um yeah, I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but um, yeah, it seems like I was probably, like Danny said, I was probably with a friend spending the night at someone's house watching HBO or something and, and seeing it that way. And um, so, you know, so the second question you asked is how, how big a fan. I, <laughs> it's not my favorite subgenre, right, of horror. A, I came to be a fan of horror a little later. I mean, I liked it. I liked movies, horror movies when I saw them, but it just really wasn't my cup of tea. But later in life, I became more of a horror fan. And even then, uh, I, you know, I, I can appreciate a good slasher movie, but it isn't my my go-to favorite subgenre. You know, any open door into horror is a good open door, but I think your experience is probably pretty unique. I think for most folks, we tend to grow into the horror genre, and slasher movies are the ones that are most prevalent and most available to us. You, you know, for you, Scott, is it more, did you fall in love more with uh, some of the movies like we've already been talking about, exorcism films, the spiritual side of horror films? Were you already into pastoral ministry when you started watching horror? What was that like for you? Yeah, I actually was. I was a pastor, so I would have been in my early 30s. I was a pastor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is how it happened. This is literally what... So I was a pastor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I liked movies. You know, I've always liked movies in general. But horror was not top on my list until a good friend of mine who was editing a Christian youth magazine okay, asked me, for some reason, to write up a... article about the popularity of horror movies in general so i went to my local blockbuster and i picked up about five or six movies 
um, The Exorcist, uh, Halloween, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Psycho, I think, was one. So I picked up five or six sort of classic horror films, sat down one weekend and watched them all and wrote an article about it. And ever since then, I've been really fascinated and a fan of the horror horror movies. That's the coolest story I've ever heard in my life. You, you have a better origin story than the rest of than us. Than anyone in the yeah. world. I mean, who gets into horror because you're writing for a Christian teen magazine? That's what happened. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, the, the first slasher movie I can remember watching uh, is called Maniac. And hopefully we might actually review it during this season. It was released in 1980. I was probably 11 or 12 uh, when I watched it. And, Dan, you'll get a kick out of this. I watched it in Haas's living room um, right down there in Thornton. So I can remember uh, the movie scaring me to death. And it was the first truly horrifying thing that I had seen on television since Michael Jackson's Thriller, which also scared me to death. I was seven years old when Thriller came out. I couldn't sleep after I watched the video. My parents let me watch Thriller because I loved Michael Jackson so much. I was doing the moonwalk and dancing and everything. And, of course, my parents had no idea that it was actually going to be pretty scary, directed by John Landis and everything. Thriller absolutely terrified me, but that kind of opened my door to loving monsters and mayhem and cemeteries and smoke and things that go bump in the night and green eyes and that kind of stuff. And then Maniac was the movie that, that I watched. I don't think my mom knew I was watching it uh, because I, I was sleeping over at a, a family member's house. Um yeah, but it, it, it terrified me. And Pieces may have been the second one. It was very close. Uh, Maniac was 1980. Pieces here is 1982. Uh, it was the second or third one that I watched. So very close together for me. Uh, but, you know, man, alive. Uh, I remember Pieces being a little bit better in 1987 than I remember it being in 2020. But we'll <laughs> talk about that in just a minute. The movie we are reviewing tonight is, in fact, called Pieces, 1982 slasher movie that appears uh, to be co-produced between the United States, Spain, and Puerto Rico, primarily filmed in Boston, Massachusetts. And as we normally do, it's a good idea to provide a plot summary of the movie so we can all be on the same page moving forward in our discussion. And I think, Scott, tonight it is over to you to provide a synopsis of the film, and then I just can't wait to get into this discussion. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about Pieces, and then we will uh, be off to the races. All right, that's fine. So basic plot summary here. Uh, the beginning scene is it starts in Boston, and uh, I think it said 1942, and there's a boy, a little boy, sitting in his living room putting together <laughs> a puzzle, okay, of a naked woman uh, you know it's a photograph of a naked woman made into a puzzle and his mother walks in and uh, catches him he you know i don't know he he looked like he could be 11 or something and she catches him and freaks out as moms might do and uh kicks it around and throws it away and uh, but she's she gets kind of shrill and she starts shrieking and she starts saying that oh you're going to be like your father no good worthless and she just kind of keeps going and ranting. The boy disappears, comes back a moment later with a big old axe and just hits her in the head with it a few times. Doesn't say anything. I don't think he said anything at this point yet at all. He hits her in the head, kills her, and we find out that he beheads her. He's covered in blood. The police show up and um, that's kind of the opening scenes. Next, it's 40 years later. 
and we're on a college campus in or around Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, presumably this boy is now fully grown and uh, the first few scenes of the campus you see lots of scenes of college girls you know roller skating or lying in the grass catching some sun studying there's a lot of scenes with uh, focusing on college girls Uh, let's just say that at this point and a lot of sexual humor Um, you know it's an 80s early 80s movie so you know that was kind of a lot of things then so uh, basically, uh, someone, uh, a killer, a stalker, with a chainsaw, begins to take out uh, various lovely young ladies in all sorts of states of undress. So, you know, they're in different settings, but he, he kills them, and the police come in, and they're trying to investigate. The dean of the campus <laughs> wants to keep it quiet and doesn't want there to be any bad publicity, so he's hoping that they can get this keep this sort of on the down low and uh, uh, so uh, the so the police decide they offer that they want to bring in uh, one or two police women who will uh, be disguised as co-eds or as instructors or something so but they'll be police so they can be undercover and help catch this guy and they've also got one of the students who kind of started out as maybe a suspect his name is Kendall and um, but he kind of helps them along the way and and uh, plays a pretty big role in the in the conclusion of the story. The uh, uh, murders continue. The policewoman is there. There uh, a reporter, female reporter, shows up on the campus. Uh, she gets dispatched. So I think there's maybe four or five victims, chainsaw victims, and um, so the the movie gives us a few red herrings. It suggests that it might be this creepy prof- anatomy professor of all things. This suggests that it might be a gardener or groundskeeper. So there's a few red herrings. And um, at the very end, we start to find out um, that the the female uh, undercover officer uh, is, I, I'm, I'm going to keep this a little bit in the dark. So she is visiting with uh, one of the prime characters who turns out to be um, the actual killer and this person is entertaining her and she's investigating and he's entertaining her in her living in his living room and he gives her uh, sedative of some kind in, in the coffee but um, at the last so she's stiff and he's gonna dismember her um, and at the last minute the police charge in with Kendall the student and they um, they rescue her what the killer was doing was it's this boy from the beginning who's grown up and he is um, creating his own jigsaw, kind of a Frankenstein movie. He's carving up women and putting together a composite woman. And um, and that's helping him. And he's also completing the puzzle from his childhood. There is a shock surprise. Actually, I, I would say there's two shock surprises in the last maybe 10 minutes or five minutes. One of them is at the last second. And I won't reveal that yet because we'll probably talk about it later. So that's that's my summary of the plot. Okay. <laughs> Good job. Best plot summary you've ever done. Good. Way thanks. Go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get general impressions like we normally do of the movie. Danny, what's your general overall impression of Pieces? Pieces is a terrible film. There's no doubt about it, but incredibly, incredibly enjoyable. Like it, The acting is real stilted. It seems like it was like there's a lot of it cut out, 
like the conversations flow in the weirdest way. Someone will say something that should get a response, and instead the the response is about something completely different, and usually it's something like, "Oh well, it's, that's it for that," and they take off, like the, cutting the conversation right, you know, short. Um, but it just has so many, you know, classic slasher tropes done uh, with almost complete seriousness, and uh, and is hilarious. But in some of its scenes it's also like incredibly sexist incredibly racist it has all, all the flaws of 80s uh, slasher films are are there but but um, despite all that i just had so much fun re-watching it and i think it's going into my slasher film rotation like i hadn't watched it since i had the vhs as uh, a teenager and now i'm like this is this is one i'll probably watch occasionally yeah you know if you wanted to do a research project on why horror movies are misogynistic pieces needs to be on the top five list uh, of the films you need to watch in order to make that argument we could talk about that all day but uh it's just so ridiculously fun i i've got a few thoughts but scott you know you just did such a good job summarizing it what's your just general take overall on the movie it was terrible it was an awful awful movie I I mean, it was so bad it was good, right? I mean, it was not a comedy, but it could have been, you know, like Naked Gun or Airplane or something. It was just over-the-top ridiculous in some ways. I don't think it was trying to be. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) I couldn't really tell. Is it trying to be a serious movie or is it trying to be kind of trashy? I don't know. Um, I don't know what I thought of it. I mean, it was entertaining because it was so absurd to me. Um, yeah, it had all the tropes. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect. I'd actually never heard of it until you guys uh, suggested it for, for, for this week. I'd never heard of it. And so I've seen, you know, the Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, uh, later on Scream, those movies. And I, I really kind of dug those. This one, I mean, I liked it, but not, it's not in the same, same category as some of those others. You know, the movie is just ridiculous on virtually every level the acting is poor with the exception maybe a bit of edmund purdom who i thought had some ability uh who played the dean you could at least see the markings of a real actor uh, somewhere in there in his performance whether or not that came through in this particular movie but i think you could tell that that guy could actually act in the plot itself i've got no problem with kind of cool uh, but it simply did not deliver right the police were incredibly stupid which we're going to have to talk about that a lot Uh, they had the civilians doing most of the investigative work for them the kill scenes were less than compelling Uh, there was one genuinely cool moment at the end of the movie that you alluded to we'll talk about that in just a second as well but then it was completely ruined by a second so cliched baffling ending that you just throw your hands up and say well what's the point then Uh, you know this this is good, though. I, we have primarily reviewed and discussed very solid films here on The Blackest Eyes. It's good for us to get into one that might be on the less than ideal ranking. Now, guys, here's the deal. I think we all just maybe alluded to this. Having said everything I just said, this movie is amazing. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what's so unreal about the slasher genre. You can say everything I just said and still walk away thinking, 
this could be a classic. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that with many other genres because they just they're just like with exorcism films. I just don't think you can do that. It, it, it's just going to lose the appeal if the film isn't a good film. But on something like this, which of course then you make the argument, well, this is why you should never watch slasher movies because they're just so stupid. It, 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 whether it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter. You just either you enjoy it or you don't. And yeah, that's not an argument that I would make. But this one is something that is rewatchable. What I love about this is that the most diehard horror fans who really know their stuff, who really know horror, people that would be within kind of our camp a little bit, they love this movie. They can't get enough of pieces. Danny, you just said it's going to go back into your slasher film rotation. I sort of doubt that's going to be true for Scott. But it's interesting that we can hate it and then, you know, we can love it at the same time. Oh, I didn't hate it at all. I just think it's terrible. Like there's there, there's a yeah, difference there, I mean. and there's and there's very actual. You're right that there. That's just really. I, you know, I'm a film professor. I tend to you know one of the things I I work with my students on is that you need to be able to distinguish why do we consider this a good film and this other film not as good. Like that's a big part. You know the aesthetics of a film and what makes some qualities a big part of what my film class talks about. So there's not many genres uh, that I would even say this about, but with slasher films, I mean, I think sometimes, you know, the, uh, the sum is greater than the parts. Like they're, they're more enjoyable than they should be. And this was one of those films. A couple of comments here. You know, I've just got some random things. I, it was hard for me to watch this movie and then come back to you guys with a really systematic, codified worldview discussion. <laughs> so I don't have that available. Uh, maybe you guys do. But I do have a lot of random things just written down that I wanted to talk about. First for me is it was awesome to see Paul L. Smith in this movie as Willard. Um, I know Paul L. Smith primarily from two, well, three movies. Uh, Popeye. He played Bluto and Popeye uh, alongside Robin Williams. Dune. And then one of the most underrated movies of all time, Gene Wilder's Haunted Honeymoon. He was Dr. Paul Abbott in Haunted Honeymoon. And he, he almost made the movie. He was so brilliant. Did you guys recognize Paul Smith? And do you remember him from some of these other films? Uh, absolutely. And from those three films, like, you know, he is, he's great in all those. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of that Robert Altman uh, Papa, uh, which I know no, most people aren't, but I just loved it when it came out, and I, it, it, I have nostalgia for it. But yeah, and I think he was uh, he was just great as this lurking potential killer in this you know the, this weird murder mystery element of the slasher film. So yeah, I thought he was great. Did you recognize Paul Smith, Scott? No, not at all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I. Seen well, I have seen Dune, and I don't think I saw Popeye, and I don't remember what the third thing you said was, but I no, I didn't recognize him. I thought he was really weird in the movie. I mean, he was supposed to be right, but it was a it was a bizarre character. Uh, That's kind or, of his stick. You know how he he was always looking at like kind of out of the corner of his eye, yeah, and kind of giving you that look. That's what he does in every movie he's been oh, in, okay. and it kind of works every time. Like every role he's in, it, I think he's a fun character, a uh, good guy. Uh, Scott, I think this was your first time watching Pieces. Is that correct? Yes. So I'm just curious. Um, oh, well, I had this question laid out here, but I, in order to ask the question, I have to reveal the ending. So are, are we comfortable going ahead and talking about the ending and then working our way backwards into the film? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Sure. 
I don't think we're going to spoil it for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so as it turns out, uh, the killer ends up being the dean of the school, who I mentioned a moment ago actually had some acting ability, Edmund Purdom. And, uh, yeah, he, he's the one that was piecing all together, thus the name of the movie, in order to make this composite perfect female or whatever that he was looking for. And at the end of the movie, as Scott alludes to, uh, just in the most baffling way, this pieced together person apparently comes to life. We're not exactly sure what's happening here. Reaches up, grabs the crotch of a Kindle, and tears into him in that area of his anatomy and not good things are happening in the movie ends. Just total bizarro. So, but here's what I want to note. How far into the movie did it take you to determine that the Dean was the murderer? Are you asking me? Yeah. I Because I don't remember. I don't remember for me. I knew he was the murderer because I'd seen the movie, oh, but I can't oh, remember. Oh, oh. When, did I, when did I figure it out? Um, I don't think I knew for sure until it was revealed. I mean, until he was poisoning or putting the knockout drops in uh mary's coffee then i figured oh, oh it's got to be the guy well i'm so happy to hear that so you, <laughs> you you didn't you the first time he was on the scene you weren't like oh well, there he is that's the killer no i didn't know i mean i thought it was possible i i mean i i thought he was because po- i thought he was creepy i thought the british accent was so prissy and so creepy um, he kept calling her my dear of course that yeah. you know is, is dated you wouldn't refer to a colleague that way and um I just didn't know why he had the British accent, if that was supposed to make him sound. And the boy, was the boy British? or So it was affected, right? It's not a real accent. So I, no, I didn't know for sure until it was revealed. You know, I think the British accent, which is, there is some truth to this, it just makes you sound smart, right? I, 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 I have, you know, threatened all the time that I'm going to preach in a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> just because I want, it's just going to sound so cool if I'm able to do that. Uh, but you know, you mentioned you didn't know until it was revealed, and that is one aspect of this m- movie, maybe for us to talk about a little bit, which is it's kind of a whodunit. So that's a little bit different take than a lot of other slasher films, where we kind of know what's going on. Uh, some of them have that element to them. We don't know exactly who the killer is, but for the most part, this is a murder mystery with extreme gore, exploitation, all of those elements involved. And Dan, you got to be interested to get your your take on this because I'm sure in the classroom, as you teach, uh, you probably get fairly particular with your definitions of genres. And I'm interested in how you would line this movie up pieces with, say, something like a traditional giallo film. How would you? How are those? How are they similar? How are they different? How do you teach the distinctions between those things? Well, actually, when we talk about genre, we usually talk about the fact that they're relatively fluid and that many films, you know, have conventions from both. So that's why we have stuff like action comedies or whatever. Uh, I, I do, but I have in my notes here that this film is kind of halfway a slasher and halfway a giallo. Uh, you've got all those uh, visual cues to the giallos, the, um, the black gloved hand with the knife, uh, the mystery element, the, uh, the stabbing of women, which you know, is just such a huge part of those uh, those pulp uh, 
books, the the yellows that the films are based on. So um, it's, it's about halfway, it, and you can see the influence of of the popular slasher films, Friday Thirteenth and Halloween, and you can see the influence of of the yellows. Uh, I think where this was a a multi country production that you know that this is the horror foundation that it was based on. Yeah, that's exactly what I have written right here. It seems like we do have multiple influences coming into the film and the idea of what it was going to look like, how it was going to be presented. And I like that. I like the idea of tracking along with the investigative team to determine who it is as we're enjoying the kills uh, along the way. Um, but of course, you lose, again, it's just taken such out of the realm of any kind of reality because the police squad is so stupid i like how can you just start bringing in professors as part of your investigative team and then a kid who very well could be the murderer himself he becomes one of the primary players in the investigation as well i mean how do you even comment on this right it's just ridiculous but i'll lay it out there for you guys anyway any feedback on uh why they decided to go that kind of direction with, you know, the film. I really feel, I mean, honestly, I, I would like to see a script for this. I feel like there had to be stuff cut out of it. It's just so bizarre some uh, how quickly they change from him, from uh, Kendall being a suspect to, hey, can you guard our policewoman? You know, this person who might be the killer, can you be the one watching out for her? And, and there's just so many scenes that, like, that get truncated just amazingly quickly with the most bizarre in line of the dialogue that just seems unconnected to anything else. And then doesn't, you know, doesn't bleed into, it doesn't transition to the next scene. I don't, uh, there, uh, there's a lot of disconnect in this plot and it's absolutely ridiculous. I have a scene I want to talk about later that doesn't quite fit into this little discussion, but some ridiculous stuff. Anything to add there, Scott? Yeah, I I mean, I was just going to say, you asked, you know, why did they decide to make the police so stupid? I'm not sure they decided. <laughs> I mean, I just think it was bad writing. I mean, Danny might be right that there was stuff edited out that would have made it a little more sensible. Or it could just be that it was just a crummy script. And, and oh, I assume I assume that whatever was cut out was also terrible. I just, I just it, it feels the editing, either the editing or something, just feels so off about the the way the scenes are put together. Yeah, and you know, so we've got Christopher George, right? Who's kind of a familiar face playing yeah. the lieutenant. If you look him up, I mean, he was on some TV shows. And uh, movies from the 60s. So, I mean, he, you know, he's kind of a familiar face and sort of a successful actor. I don't know what he's doing in this. And is, is it his wife who, who plays the policewoman? And this was not their finest moment for either of them. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that left me scratching my head. Oh, there's all kinds of head scratching. How do you even get these guys to make the film in the first place, right? <laughs> when they read this script, it's just incredible. Uh, but again, you just... You, you look at this and you think, because there are theories out there, you know, just to kind of build on the foundation of what you just said, Scott. There are theories out there that the director actually wanted to make the film, oh, what, kind of a, a comedy of the genre in and of itself. 
So he went so over the top with everything so that we would be asking these questions. Is this really supposed to be taken seriously or are they making fun of themselves while doing this movie? There's all kinds of ideas out there about pieces as to what the actual intention of the movie was. And I think you could certainly make that argument if okay, you wanted to. May I make that argument? If, all right. So I think there's one scene that is the best argument for the fact that this is meant to be a parody or at least an absurdly over-the-top thing and that is when the policewoman is uh, investigating uh, she's she's wandering around campus at night and she you know thinks the killer is around and she turns a corner with her gun and this guy who looks like Bruce Lee in absolutely in the jumpsuit from uh, Game of Death comes around the corner they have a kung fu fight out of you know usa kung fu theater and she knocks him out by kicking him very hard in the groin and then kendall comes along and goes oh that's my kung fu professor what what's up chong <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, it, and he pops up and says something like oh i came around the corner and uh, I, I passed out and must have been some bad chop suey and then takes off it is insane. And I honestly, I was watching this middle of the night, just afraid I was waking my wife up laughing so hard watching it. But uh, yeah, I think I can't imagine that anyone wrote that scene, acted in that scene, <laughs> edited that scene, you know, shot it and did not realize how absolutely ridiculous it was and wonderful. I mean, honestly, that scene makes the film for me. That's a good one. I, I'll add one. That, that I thought was so, was kind of, it did make me laugh out loud. It's toward the end. Okay, so Mary, the policewoman, is with the dean. She's talking to him. He's drugging her. She's, she becomes stiff as a board. She doesn't, she doesn't fall asleep. I don't know what he gave her, but it didn't make her, it didn't knock her out. It just made her paralyzed. And when the uh, cop and the student, Kendall, come in, they kind of look around and they say, okay, the killer's not here. We're going to go out there and look for him outside. Kendall, stay here with Mary and see if you can get her to walk around. So he's picking up this woman who is totally paralyzed, uh, can't move, can't bend any of her joints, and he's trying to walk her along. And the dean is hiding behind curtains that are moving, and no one noticed... And he pops out with a knife, and he's going to stab Kendall in the back. And Kendall turns to fight him off, and he drops her. And she just falls face flat, face down onto the floor. And I thought, that slapstick. That can have been, I mean, that was so... To me, that was a pretty ridiculous moment. Okay, one more. How about the killer gets into an elevator carrying a chainsaw <laughs> with a co-ed and she doesn't notice he has a chainsaw which he's holding in front of him and to the side to the side a little bit it, she doesn't notice it until he pulls it forward and, and starts it I wrote and also that, doesn't scream until like seconds after it starts either so I, I wrote that down how does she get into an elevator a small space and he's carrying this big chainsaw and she doesn't know yeah that was that was just beyond real i don't know well what about even more obvious than that that the killer's weapon of choice is a chainsaw (laughs) and you know that he's so many other options we could have gone with i mean at times in the movie he had to really make a concerted effort to get the the victim right where he wanted and then go to another room in order to find the chainsaw in order to bring it back in and kill (laughs) the person 
so yeah, I mean, y'all are walking. I've got all these moments listed down. The Kung Fu kick. Here's what I wrote, Danny, on my notes. I said, this moment in the movie tells us everything we need to know. So that's what I think about the Kung Fu kick. What about the very first scene after the flashback? We have a random girl skateboarding uh, either on, on the campus or somewhere near the campus. And all of a sudden, we've got these two sheet glass workers carrying a sheet of glass. She runs head first into it, apparently killing her. And there's no nothing nothing else is mentioned. Just, Un- unrelated to the rest of the film. <laughs> I mean, just the poor girl just kills you know in the pieces, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So okay, one more the 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 uh, one suspect the uh, the anatomy professor. They bring him in to 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 check the body that's been dismembered <laughs> to see if it was done with a chainsaw. And he's he says, well, you know, I'm an expert, but I think a layman could tell you that a chainsaw cut this person apart. <laughs> oh, that was true. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You idiot. Right? And he's like, I don't want to wait on the experts, right? So could you just tell me what you think about it? <laughs> I may have to change my mind and decide this film is brilliant. So, that's, uh, well, that's uh, che- check in again at the end of the episode, you, and we'll if see. If you read a couple of reviews, because I've read a couple of reviews since I watched it again last Saturday, there are some people who are really making that argument who are saying, "Listen, the director was absolutely brilliant with this movie because of what he's actually saying and what he's doing here." I mean, I, I, I've got more here. Every time there's a killing, the paramedics show up with stretchers, but they're basically putting individual body parts. On the stretchers. I, it's just <laughs> absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. uh, this, uh, I had made a note that this could also be called Deus Ex Machina, the film, because everyone is exactly where they need to be in every scene. Like, this this, this giant university must have two buildings. Because, like, when that reporter, there's a reporter, and she's following the detective, and the killer's there, too, and then another co-ed's there, and, and just every, you walk into a building, and that's where the killer happens to be. I don't, it's, it's insane how, uh, how small that campus seems to be. Also, there's a scene where the woman is uh, doing a, is skinny dipping, but the swimming pool's in the middle of campus in a building with giant windows in the front of it? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but a just, slasher film, you have to have a skinny dipping scene. Uh, it's, it's essential. I mean, I this, mean, this could be the scream before scream, you know, in some ways. Because uh, you have all of these elements that are perfectly there and fit into the plot line. And yet you're scratching your head thinking, this is so ridiculous. What are we supposed to think? I love how the, the dean is like, or, or is it the, uh, the lieutenant? You know, we're not, we're got, we got to keep this quiet. So we've got women being massacred on a college campus, cut into pieces with a chainsaw, but they're not going to release, like, no one's going to know about this somehow. I found that to be hilarious. You know, that would be just so absurd. Oh, all the killings taken uh, just with a grain of salt. It's kind of insane how uh, not freaked out people are about these dismembered bodies. And what was up with the waterbed? What, where was that? It seems like it was in the middle of an empty room. There was a waterbed, and that's where he kills the reporter. He punctures it with the knife that he's killing her with, and there's she's kind of I think she drowns right or something in the water. Yeah, I think what it's like a, 
it's like a physical therapy room or something uh, for the for the the athletes or I don't know. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. But well, and it connects back to the you know ridiculous sophomoric humor earlier yes. in the film about yeah. having sex on a waterbed, and now we get to see the actual waterbed, right? Yeah. Um, so there was a scene in the movie Clue, uh, one of the greatest comedies ever, where they're just nonchalantly walking around the house looking at all of these dead bodies. They've become so accustomed to just seeing dead bodies now in this house. And somebody says, um, six murders. And then one of the uh, crew says, this is getting serious. You know, after six murders, right now it's getting serious. At some point, somebody in the movie says something like, I think it was Mary, the woman. She's like, you know, if something doesn't happen soon, we're going to really have to do something. Oh, you think so? We have like five dead women who've been cut up. You know, we better really start taking this seriously, I guess. I don't know. We could just go on and on yeah. with these kinds of things. Man. So having said that, where do we go from here, guys, in mm-hmm. the discussion? Anything else that, you know, what do you all have down that you wanted to talk about? And we just talked about it, right? So. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll bite. Now, I know that it's one of the tropes for uh, slasher movies to show a lot of nudity or some nudity. And it's kind of a thing for these eighties sort of teen comedies, right? I mean, you had, you know, these raunchy comedies that were popular in the eighties more, but you know, I mean, that must've been part of the over the topness, right? I mean, this was, I can't think of any other, I mean, yeah, there's always some sexual humor in a lot of these slasher movies but this just every single one right i think every single victim had to be naked at least partially yeah it's yeah, kind of a porky's level yeah. right of, yeah. of uh, nudity yeah there's a shower scene there's i mean they're just over and over it's 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 kind of like it is aiming to be what parents thought these films were <laughs> it's it is like the worst case scenario for that kind of stuff uh, and you know the idea of linking uh you know, sexuality and violence and, you know, all of the, uh, all of the things that we talk about when we talk about the, you know, slasher films and their, their, you know, their misogyny and stuff. It's, it's all here in full force. Can I, can I tell you guys an anecdote, a personal anecdote that has to do with slasher movies from my childhood? Is that okay? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so when I was in, let's see, I, I think I was in third, no, maybe sixth grade. I think I was in sixth grade, which would have been around what? I don't know, 83, 80, no, more like 81 or something. Okay. So that kind of, that dates it. On Valentine's Day, I went to a small Christian school. So in sixth grade, we just had like this, there's like maybe 20 students in our sixth grade classroom. On Valentine's Day, it was customary for the kids to you know, buy these little Valentines and pass them out. And we had a little party and some of the moms came and brought refreshments or whatever. So we all passed out our Valentines to each other. And then you open them and, you know, maybe some of the kids wrote little messages and some of them were humorous and some of them had candy in it. Well, everybody had gotten, um, so, so one of the students had taken several Valentines that he was passing out and had put like a red X on people's faces and said something like you're next or, you know, some threatening sort of horror, you know, thing there, vibe or whatever. 
and we actually had to call off the party and the and the and the teacher was like we have to figure out who this is so we by some kind of process of elimination i don't even know how we figured it out but we took took out time in our day it was one of the kids who uh, happens to truly i'm not not kidding truly was kind of a um, horror movie guy and sixth graders and he was he was imitating I mean he didn't hurt anybody but he was sort of imitating some of those tropes it was really weird and I've often wondered whatever happened to him you made me think of it when you Danny I think when you said something about uh, the influence that movies like this can have well it sounds like he had watched my bloody valentine to me yeah. <laughs> yes That's, yeah I don't know well yeah I didn't mean to kill the mood but that just came to mind uh, don't think you killed the mood. Uh, that's those are great stories. We love to hear those kinds of things, man. I mean, I, I, what else do we say about this film? Let's talk about the ending for a minute. So I thought there was one genuine, pretty cool moment. Uh, it was good misdirection. So he pulls out the puzzle and says, "Look, here's the puzzle." And you know, uh, what was his name? Kendall was like, "Whoa, I don't know." And the assistant is like, "Oh, see." Well, maybe you don't want to be a cop or something like that. And he kind of leans over on the bookshelf. When he does, it's a secret door. The thing flips around. And now we get to see the whole point of the whole movie is the girl that has been pieced together using all of these body parts. And she kind of falls forward. And it's a little bit of a startle. And it gets you. And that would have been such a great ending. But no. It's, it's as if, just to go back to this theory... It's as if they know that would have been good. Now we're going to ruin it for you <laughs> by doing this ridiculous. The body actually comes alive and castrates poor Kendall. <laughs> and that's the last scene. That's the last, and that's moment. The last scene. Yeah. Right. Right. Was that a Carrie thing? Because that's what I thought of. Yeah, you know, at the scary. end of Carrie, right? Brian De Palma in 1976. Right. right. Her, well, I mean, that's, how, you know, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th is what I was thinking. That's what I have in my notes. It's Jason coming out of the water but isn't carry? I mean, it's a hand. It's an actual hand that it doesn't kill and hurt anybody, but it pops right. out of her grave. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, because well, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth was clearly influenced by Carrie, and all those gotchy endings yes. ultimately stem from that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, what do you think, Danny, about that final moment? Uh, yeah, honestly, you would have an iconic final scene if it ends with just the uh, the uh, Frankenstein, you know. the monster puzzle piece mon- uh, monster yeah. uh, body coming through the uh, thing it would have been, it, it was great uh, it did not need to come to life yeah it just the more and more we're talking the more i'm convincing myself that the thing that we're talking about could very well be true about this movie because of all of these elements now let's think about some of the things we have mentioned though as it pertains to women in the film of course there is the ridiculous over the top unnecessary nudity We have things like there is a female police officer, an investigator who is being put onto the scene. We don't know exactly uh, why, other than we need more cops on the scene or maybe. Was her intent, was she she supposed to uh, entice the killer to come after her? I don't think that was ever explicitly said, was it? No, it actually wasn't. uh, But yeah, I think so. That's the, you know, we can run with that. And yet she's going there to entice the killer she's a police officer and yet a college student a boy is supposed to protect her 
what's that all about? And, and has to rescue her. And has to rescue her. Yeah. And then we have, of course, um, the fact that all of these women are completely helpless and are being killed and referring to them as honey and darling and they, you know your role and all of that. So all of those things, you know, fit into what you would expect probably in 1982. Right? Yeah, well, seemingly being uh, punished for their sexuality is, is the cliche for slasher films, uh, though there has been a, a quite a bit of research to show that maybe it's that's not as true as we think it is, that we've remembered a handful of films that did that, Obviously, Halloween has some of that, uh, and that's so influential. But that if you look at all slasher films, there's not nearly as much of that, uh, you know, moralism, sort of punishment for being sexual creatures kind of thing. Uh, but that's definitely in this film. I mean, every, you know, almost every woman gets naked, and then they all get sla- killed. Well, and the other thing about the <laughs> about the, all the naked women, um, the music of this thing, the score of the movie, was this sort of electronica kind of thing going on but when the women started to undress it sounded like some kind of burlesque band or something it just totally changed it just absolutely like a a striptease kind of what you know what i'm talking kind of a thing going on it just was weird and uh, it was distasteful but also hilarious i guess yeah you remember the scene where the there oh Oh my goodness, how did, how have I not mentioned this yet? So I was a tennis player. I played from about nine years old, 10 years old, all the way through college. Uh, played competitively, fairly decent tennis player. Uh, if I'd have stuck with it, I, I probably would have been a lot better. I, I didn't practice like I should have. But why is it, and I'm just going to, tennis is what it was in this particular film, but why is it that whenever you see specific things in a film, like a sport or a specific kind of um whether it's baseball or whether it's tennis uh, or whether it's something else that that just involves a particular kind of thing that movies can never get it right. In this case, the ladies are playing tennis and they never go any further back than what is referred to as no man's land at the tee in the center of the tennis court. It was driving me crazy. I was like (laughs) pulling my hair out like... Does and they, the direct, does no one on the set know? Get the girls back 10 feet so they don't look like idiots. And she's supposed to be a professional tennis player. Oh, it, it, I, like I was, in some ways it was the worst part of the whole movie for me. A, a, fa- a famous professional tennis player. It's not just that they're in no man's land. They don't move at all, left or right. Like, they're just that. Oh, it's it's insanely bad. Yeah, it's just so horrible. Yeah. And I was thinking of you when that scene was playing. It's like, that oh, feels loving this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What else? What else can we talk about? That's kind of all I've got uh, down here. Yeah, that's all of my notes, too. Uh, I did mention that uh, I teach a section on the video nasties. This was one of the films that was uh, controversial enough that it was confiscated in the UK. Uh, the, the direct, it, it is not one of the producers that was taken to court actually you know, faced criminal charges, but it was confiscated and banned in the UK in the video nasties uh, scandal. So, so it's uh, it's kind of infamous, and that probably builds a little bit of its cult classic status. I have one more thing written down here that we haven't mentioned. Again, just going back to kind of the slapstick stuff. One of you mentioned slapstick, and that is that. You all remember, of course, Leslie Nielsen's, not the Naked Gun, but the original Police Squad, yeah. you know, from from the files of 
police squads and whatever. And uh, one of the episodes of that is involves a bomber, and he's going into courthouses and stuff and, and planting bombs. And as they come in to plant the bomb, you only see the knees down. You see the knees down to the shoes, taking these really deliberate, slow, methodical steps, and you hear the footsteps. And it's hilarious. You know, he's just so funny. But they did that for real in this movie. <laughs> like, you only see the the pants of the killer. And every time that happened, I just started laughing. I just, it's just so funny that that was, if that in fact was meant to be scary or menacing or something, no, it was it was comical in every way. So I don't remember. I don't remember what your uh, student bodies was the uh, the slasher film parody, but it one of the things that it makes fun of is how the killer can move incredibly slowly and everybody else run and the killer keeps up with them. Right. That the one scene with the girl being chased through the through the uh, the building. The the guy's not moving; like he's barely moving at all, and she is flying and going through doors, and and he he ends up ahead of her, like she runs into him. So, uh, it, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, yeah, I remind that scene reminded me, Danny, of the Evil Dead, how the girl keeps running in the cabin, and and the cabin ends up being about a mile and a half deep. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like she could never get out of the building, and she's running and running and running. Oh, here's another one of my favorites. These just keep coming towards the end. Uh, Kendall and the assistant guy, the cop, uh, are in the thing, and Kendall's like, "Hey, what about this? This might be something." He's like, "Oh yeah, his name has changed. I'll call the uh, you know register for names or whatever." He gets up off his desk. He walks back about a hundred yards where filing cabinets are, around the filing cabinets, walks another hundred yards forward, and there's like one phone stand <laughs> sitting there, <laughs> and he picks up the phone. I mean, it was like a thirty-second sequence. Just to get him around filing cabinets to get to the phone. Oh, man. Just perfect. You know, perfect. And it was just a dolly overshot watching him get through all of these filing cabinets and then dolly back, you know. It was the same sort of thing when the they showed the dance studio and, you know, the, the female students and their leotards, you know, doing their dance routine. Mm. And the girl says, you know, at their break, she tells her teacher, I, I need to go to the John. <laughs> And I thought, well, how far? Because she's going down flights of stairs, <laughs> then a long, dark hallway, turns you know down a maze of hallways, and you know with creepy lighting, and she's kind of boogieing the whole time, and downstairs, upstairs. I thought, where is this restroom? <laughs> and why is there? You know, they should have more, more better plumbing or something. That uh, it was crazy. Oh man, so funny! <laughs> and then to bring it back once again to the Naked Gun, there's that scene where he's walking around downtown, and you just keep seeing his feet and everything, Lieutenant Drevin, and then his feet's on a sidewalk, 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 and then his next step, he's like in a forest somewhere. <laughs> he walks so far, and he's like, "And where was I?" And he's like, "Oh gosh," uh-huh. it reminded me of that. Mm. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see what we're going to decide for next week's film because it's going to be hard to top this one, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think we uh, we hit some kind of a pinnacle here. Oh, wow. So fun. Well, that's pieces. I So let me finish with this question, Danny. I'll ask you this. Let's say you've got somebody and they want to kind of learn more about horror they want to know what it is you love about slasher films and about the genre and about the classic knife wielding chainsaw toting killer at what point where would pieces be on the list where you would say 
here's a movie you should watch in order to appreciate even a, par- a parody of this to see over-the-top tropes, or it, would pieces never go on that list uh, I, for you? Unless I just knew something about the person asking the question that would lead them this way, I don't think it would go on the list. Um, I, just such a esoteric... The appreciation of this kind of stuff is... Is it's it's very individualized, right? right. <laughs> I don't know if this is a film you could recommend to people unless you already know that they would like it. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. It, this one you almost have to stumble into yourself if you enjoy the genre and you begin to appreciate kind of the elements of these kinds of movies, and then you watch this and you're like, oh yeah, wow, this is hilarious. <laughs> Again, like kind of like. Well, some of these movies we'd already mentioned, who does the parodies or who shows how different elements of horror movies can be appreciated, sometimes in comical ways and whatnot. <laughs> Leslie Vernon, is, again, is a great example of this. We've got to review that movie at some point. Um, it's just not immediately clear that that's what Pieces is trying to do, but I think we're all in agreement that maybe it is. Except yeah. maybe, Scott, are, are you still just kind of landing at, no, this is just a horrible movie? <laughs> Well, I mean, at my first watch, right? This is the first time I've seen it. And uh, my first watch of it was, this is really just a bad, badly made film. But yeah. as we've been talking about it and things that you guys have pointed out, and it's reminded me of some of my impressions. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm really leaning now that this was intended to be kind of a goof on the genre. And it does come a, a year after Student Body. Student, so it, there were already slasher film parodies out there. Um, and I think the same year as Pandemonium, which is another slasher film parody. So uh, I think it's funnier than either of the two films that are supposed to be, you know, yeah. comedies. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's right. And as you know, from 78 through mid-80s, it was just insanity with how many of these films were made. Um and just how popular they were, how much money they made. They were, you know, especially with the drive-in crowd. Yeah, like, and cheap uh, to make. Yeah. yeah. They're just profit. It's just printing money. Well, this has been a lot of fun. We will be with you again next week for Episode 2 of Season 2, where we're talking about slasher movies. Really just can't wait. Uh, the Exorcism Season 1, the, the movies on exorcisms, was in, in, incredibly fun. Uh, we talked about a lot of kind of heavy things, important things. And if this keeps going in the trajectory it is, we're going to have a, probably a lot more laughs in this particular season. And that's a good thing, especially during this time of uh, pandemics and uh, election years and uh, r- r- racial tensions and so many heavy things that we're dealing with. Sometimes it's good to be able to laugh and to have some lighthearted moments, some escape. And we hope to be able to provide that for you. So, Scott and Danny, thanks for the good conversation. We will see you next week. Don't forget to like us on various social media and subscribe to the podcast. We are dropping all of our episodes every Monday morning, early on Monday morning. So you can listen as you're going into work uh, or whenever is convenient for you. And we'd love to hear from you, too. Shoot us a message. Let us know what you're thinking about the podcast. Join the conversation with us. And uh, we would appreciate that. So until next time, uh, this is Philip saying stay scared, be careful. We'll see you next week.